You know, I've realized the reason why we struggle to truly comprehend the love of God and why and how he could love us even when we're uh, us. It's because we as humans truly fail to love people the right way. We fail to love people irregardless of who they are or what they've done. We can't understand how we're supposed to continue to love someone who continues to fail, mess up, do something to us, make us mad, hurt us, injure us. And we come to the conclusion that, you know, they're bad for me. And so God would want me to go somewhere else and be around people who are good for me. And so we just automatically assume that's the way God is. Uh, because it doesn't matter how much we know that God is not human, we still can't help but place human characteristics on God. We still can't help but put human tendencies on God. Like, I mean, that's why when you mess up, you run from God because you just automatically assume he'll be just like the parent who you messed up and they were ready to get on to you. So that's how we treat God. Or they're the person who you did wrong and they left you and they deserted you. So you can't help but think that's the way God is. And so when we can't truly understand how God is who God is, we can't help but put our own flesh on Jesus. And and what I would like to encourage you to truly try, and here's the thing, I don't think we're ever going to get to the point to where we don't do that. Like, I would love to tell you that I'll teach you a lesson one day and everything will come into fruition and you'll begin to truly see God for who he is. But we're incapable of seeing God for who he is. Like we just are, our minds cannot do it. The Bible says his ways are far above our ways. The mind of God, who can know it? Who can ascend the hill of God? Like we can't do that. And so I don't think we're ever going to get to the place to where we're just, we know who God is and we truly can understand him. But here's what we can do. We can try. We can try, people. We cannot stop trying. We can keep putting forth the effort to love better every day. Understanding we're not going to love perfectly but not letting that inability keep us from loving as hard and as fiercely as we can. Because God is faithful in doing one thing, giving you opportunity to get it right. He is endless in giving you opportunity to get it right. And that in and of itself is so hard to understand because you keep messing up on your job. There's going to come a time they're going to stop giving you the opportunity to show up to work. You keep messing up in your marriage. There's going to come a time they're going to stop giving you the opportunity to show up in the marriage. You keep messing up and failing to be the friend to someone you should. At some point, that friend's going to stop giving you the opportunity to be a part of their life. But this is what's so great about God. And I'm not saying people keep putting yourself out there for people to hurt you. But at the same time, I kind of am. Some of y'all are like, I don't like this lesson. That's not what I want to do. 
that person cussed me out so many times. I'm done and I'm, I'm, I shouldn't, should I have to submit myself to their attitude? Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should. Well, why? That doesn't help me any. Actually, it is. But you can't see it. You can't see that that constant berating from them is actually producing in you a firmness and a steadfastness, the ability to stand when they're doing that and not give in and not walk away so that you can show them who God is, at least to the best of your ability. So why does God do it? I don't know. Because Danny can't tell you that answer. But what I can tell you is you should try to keep doing it. You didn't do it. You walked away from somebody and you let them go. You deserted them. Go back to them. Say, hey, look, I'm sorry. Yeah, you made me mad, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't walk away from you because I know you need me. I know you need something. I know that we can both grow from this. Yes, I'll grow in being tougher. I'll get a lot stronger being your friend. Amen. I'll be a lot stronger being your friend. In a couple of years, I will be as tough as they come. But maybe, just maybe, you'll also catch on to something because of what's in me. Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, they'll finally see that someone didn't leave them, right? Because they have the opposite picture that everyone's just left them because of who they are. They're so mean and undeserving that everyone's just walked away. And so now they see God that way. Maybe, just maybe you can change how someone sees God. Oh my Lord, is that possible? That us as humanity can help change how someone sees the divinity? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Actually, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You are the method by which God chooses to change people's mind of who he is. You are the method in which God uses to change people's mind of who he is. So you're continuing on when life is awful and yet you smile every time someone sees you. Your ability to withstand someone trying to forcibly push you out of their life because they don't feel like they deserve friendships, your, your ability to stay and hang on and help them through it will change how they see God. So maybe, maybe God's trying to tell you. There's an opportunity that's put before you today to show who he is. You may not have got it right yesterday, but let's get it right today. You may not get it right tomorrow, but hey, what about the next day? What about the next day? Because that's the opportunity God gives us. And so that's kind of unique how that God has kind of wrapped this up in, in, a, in a pretty little bow. He's really good like this. Um, I'm going to be teaching to you. If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to preach from a parable again. I like the word. I like parables now. I've really gotten into them, you know. Um, I got this thing. I, I have, you know, I've never had an addiction to, to drugs or alcohol, but I still have a very addictive personality. Like once I get a hold of something, I just, I lean fully into that thing, like almost to the point to where I have blinders on and I don't think about anybody else. My wife will tell you, uh, full transparency, I'm a TV junkie, TV junkie. I love TV, whether it's sports shows. Like if I find a show that I love, you won't see me for like six weeks. And that's not good. <laughs> it's absolutely not good. 
Because if you don't see me, guess who else isn't seeing me? My wife and my children. <laughs> they come in. I'm, 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 I am literally cleaning the house with my phone in my hand. You know, like I'm doing dishes with the phone on the on the windowsill, watching my TV show. It's, it gets that bad. But it also kind of works in my favor a little bit because when I get on a kick in the Bible, I also kind of get addicted to something. And I've kind of been leaning into parables lately. Um, and there's a lot of them we know, a lot of famous ones, you know, and I'm getting ready to probably read you one that everyone knows. And so, you know, I, I'm, you're going to already probably jump ahead of me and, and, you know, be at the waiting at the finish line, waiting on me to get there. Like, hey, can you speed this up? I get what we're doing here. Um, but I'm hoping just maybe that you'll see this one a little differently today uh, because God is so good that he'll give you old lessons, but give you new meanings. And um, that's, that's just how good he is. You know, he could take old Bible verses and give you fresh revelation in it. And so I'm going to be teaching to you from the parable of the talents. And I want to give you just a little bit of a setting of what is happening here. Uh, just the previous chapter in chapter 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, can you tell us what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God comes and the end times? Like, you know, you ever have those people like they're just so curious about what's coming? You know, like, tell me what's coming next. Like, I got to know so that I can be ready. And so the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, tell us what you got planned. Because we're kind of the, we're like your people, we're your 12, so we kind of feel like we should know what's going to happen. And he's like, all right, let me tell you something. And Jesus never gives a direct answer. And let me, so, so, so you need to also get this for your life. Like Jesus is never going to give you a direct answer to the question you ask. And there's a myriad of reasons why he does it. One is so that you maybe just lean on him and, and trust him. Because if he gives you how everything's going to work out, you may stop trusting him right? And so the disciples ask, hey, Jesus, what's going to happen when you come at the end time? He's like, look, I'm going to tell you things. And chapter 24 is not for the faint of heart. I was going to go ahead and warn you. If you've never read Matthew chapter 24, it's kind of a tough chapter. He says, hey, look, when the end time's coming, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be famine. People are going to be fighting everybody. And, like, and like, like, that's a pretty bad thing, right? But then it gets worse. Like Jesus just goes real, look, it gets real bad. He's like, uh, they're actually going to deliver you up to be killed. Like, whoa, Jesus, I don't, whoa, okay? We're your boys. Like, don't kill us. You know, like, we should not be part of the killed crowd, right? And here's the thing. Being saved does not save you from any kind of persecution. Right. Having Jesus in your life does not get you out of having to deal with bad times, sorrow, tragedy, and even sometimes pain in your own life. But Jesus is grateful enough to tell you ahead of time, hey, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. If they didn't receive me, they ain't going to receive you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you, right? And so that's kind of cool that we serve a God that at least gives us a heads up. He ain't trying to sell us a bill of goods like some of these churches do. Come to Jesus. Everything will be fixed. Your life will be all good. Like you're going to get the job you've been praying for. Like nothing bad's going to happen. You know, it's like, no, that's not how Jesus works. Living for Jesus is often a very hard thing to do. In fact, if you're not having a hard time living for Jesus, you're probably not living him loud enough. If everyone in your life loves your Christianity, that's a tough one. I don't know if I should finish that sentence or not. I should probably not finish that sentence. Yeah. But if everyone in your life loves your Christianity, you're probably not living out true Christianity. 
Because beware. Bible's so good. They give you lessons. He just teaches it. He lets you have it up front. He's not a guy, God who tries to hide what's going to happen to you just to try to trick you into serving him. He said this, beware when all men speak good of you. If everybody is just like, man, I love that guy. I love how he makes me feel. I love when I'm around him. I just feel better. And I love when he preaches. I leave feeling like my life's good and okay. Let me tell you something. If you don't ever leave this church feeling like, oh my Lord, I've messed up. Then I'm not preaching to you the gospel. Because the Bible says that the gospel in and of itself is offensive. Now, let me teach you another lesson. You don't have to add offense on top of it, Christian people. This thing right here is offensive enough to people that you don't then have to add attitude on top of it to really set it in. Just give them the word. Just like Jesus did. Hey, look, you want to follow me? Every man must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And in fact, I got another lesson for you. You're going to have to eat my body and drink my blood. Whoa, Jesus, I'm out. I'm out. No, thank you. And everyone walks away. Jesus doesn't go chasing them. Ooh, that's another lesson. Quit chasing people that are trying to walk away from you. Amen? Quit trying to hunt down people who, who are walking away from you. Now, you don't walk away from people. See, y'all thought y'all thought y'all was going to get me on a contradiction from what I said earlier, right? No, people can walk away from you. You don't walk away from people. The responsibility is different. But when Jesus gave that lesson and offended everybody, and they're like, this is too hard. That's what they said, literally. This is too hard. I don't like none of this. Some of y'all do that with church. Y'all come in, hear a passage of scripture. That's too hard. I don't like it. That's for somebody else. You'll go home and you'll talk about somebody who that might have been for. I tell you who that was for, honey. That was for that one person that said back there. We know what they did. I mean, I'm telling you, that was for them. I'm glad preacher got on them today. They really needed to be corrected. <laughs> Thank God that wasn't for me though. Whew. They were like, that's too hard. I'm out. Jesus said, I tell you what, y'all go ahead. And the other people are like, hey, um, we're just going to hang around. And Jesus said, no, will you leave me? They said, nah, because that might've been hard, but also you got the words to eternal life. Let me tell you something. It might get hard, but there is a reward coming. Come on, somebody like that. Like there is, there is something that's coming. That's going to be a little bit better than just everyone liking you and feeling good about who you are. Like stop trying to people please and start trying to God please because the reward that comes from pleasing God is way better than anything that somebody, all somebody else is going to do is say, man, that was awesome. Until you do something, then they're going to leave you. So let's just please God and let other men figure out what they're going to do. And let's just keep walking with God. Amen. Amen. Okay. So anyway, so here's this passage. Disciples like, tell us what's going to happen. And he's like, man, it's going to get rough. It's going to get real bad. You're going to be killed. And at this point, I'm like, Man, like God, can we can we go back? Can we go back to where like you're doing all these miracles and like people love us because we bring healing to their town? He's like, no, nah, I need you to know that there's another side to this coin, right? right. And so he's telling them this, and then he goes into parables. Like Jesus just kind of switches it up on them. I'm gonna tell you how it is, and then I'm gonna give you some stories that you may not make sense of right fast, right? He gives them a story of the parable of ten virgins. Like, whoa, okay, hang on. We were talking about me getting killed. Now we're going to 10 virgins. He's like, okay, let me just tell you. The kingdom of God is like 10 virgins waiting on the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish. Five of them were wise. Amen. We all want to be part of the wise group, right? Anybody want to be foolish? I don't want to be foolish. But what did the foolish, what did the foolish uh, people do? 
uh, they did not bring extra oil for the lamp because the Bible says that no man knows the hour on which the bridegroom's going to come back. So you just got to be ready at all times. You know what the Bible talks about being ready about the hour of God coming, that the knowledge of God coming, but not knowing is what perfects the saints. Amen. Why? Because we don't know when he's coming. So we just got to stay ready. You know, y'all ever seen the Hulk, right? They ask him, hey, how do you, how do you stay, how do you stay like this? How do you not get mad all the time? He's like, well, the truth is I just stay mad, right? You don't have to get ready if you stay ready, right? You don't have to get ready if you stay ready. That's the whole lesson of the parable of the 10 virgins. Like you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. So they didn't stay. They had no preparation towards the future. They didn't have what they needed for the, when the bridegroom came, but the five smart ones said, hey, he could be a while. We don't know. So we're going to take extra oil just in case the lamps go dim so that we can refill them, right? And then he goes into the parable of the talents, right? See, the parable of the 10 virgins is a illustration of saving faith, saving faith, waiting faith. Anybody ever had to wait on the Lord? Anybody just had to, nobody? Nobody had to wait on the Lord. This is the time where hands go. Remember, we were talking about hands going up. We love that participation crowd, everybody. All right. Facebook, even if you're home in your, in your bedroom, raise your hand. All right. Just for you. Anybody had to wait on the Lord? It gets hard sometimes, right? You got to have faith to wait. Part of waiting is having faith that sustains you in the wait. So there's waiting faith. Then we move to the parable of the talents where we're going to be for just a few minutes. And that is an illustration of working faith or sustaining faith, right? What do we do while we wait? He says this, we're going to read Mark or Matthew chapter 25 says this, starting in verse 14. It said, for it, it is the kingdom, right? If you go back to the beginning of this passage, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, it says, it will be like a man going on a journey. Little, little spoiler alert. I'm going to try to stop as we read so that we don't have to come back and do the whole thing again. The man on the journey is Jesus, right? Okay, just go ahead and give you that. You want to write that down so we know when we're going through it. All right, the man going on a journey who called his servants. Hey, that's me and you, okay? Everybody say, I'm a servant. All right, everybody look at somebody and say, you're a servant. Y'all didn't look at anybody. Y'all looked at me and said that. I know I'm a servant. Tell somebody else to your left or right, not me. All right, I got to be really direct with you all this morning. All right. He said, and he gave it to his servants and entrusted them his property. Everybody know Jesus has trusted you today? You know how good it is for someone to trust you? You know how awesome it feels when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to let you in on something. I trust you with this. Or, or, or they give you something and say, hey, I need you to take care of this. Some of y'all, I want to say thank you real fast for trusting us with your babies. Y'all give them to us every Sunday morning, and we don't take that for granted. Thank you so much for trusting us with something you value far beyond any possession in this world. Thank you. That lets us feel like, hey, they do. They love us. Why? Because they trust us with their babies, right? I love my kids. Now, there's some days I don't care who pulls up on the side of the road. I'd send them off with them. I ain't gonna lie. Some days I'd be like, I'll go out and flag down a car and put you in the car, Amen. But for the most part, I don't want to just give my kid to just somebody I don't trust, right? I'm not going to give my possessions, my valued possessions to someone I don't trust. So the first thing we see here is a glorious sign that God trusts us. So let's be careful with that trust, right? 
Okay? So he says he trusts him with his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. Uh, to another, one. To each, according to his ability, then he went away. Now, here's where we got to establish some truth here. I'm going to say something. Again, y'all know me. There's very few times that I've ever really touched on anything that might resemble, might kind of cause problems politically, but I am going to say this one thing right here real fast. Jesus is obviously, if you look at this text, he's obviously not a socialist. He didn't give everybody the same amount. I see my Republicans are like, yes, amen. Woo, I wore my red today. And my Democrats, y'all are angry at me, but I'm just trying to tell y'all that there is a little bit of an illustration here that Jesus is not a socialist. I'm not saying he's red or blue. I'm just saying he's not that, okay? Because he said, I'm going to give everybody according to what? Wait a minute. Not, <laughs> you mean you're going to actually base what I get on who I am and what I work and how I work and how I live? Like, you're going to really do that, not just say everyone gets the same amount? No, God says, look, I know that I can only trust certain people with this amount. Right? Because here's the thing, and I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but I'm also understanding that we're, you know, it's, 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 oh, it's already, it's getting past time. All right. The time is coming and I got to wrap this up. Okay. I also understand this. That if the source in you is less than the resources around you, you will cripple your life. God could not give to the one who got one five because he didn't have the character to maintain it. It would have crushed him. When you're looking at your life and saying, God, why does such and such have this? And why does so and so have that? And I got this. God's like, look, if I gave you what they had, it would destroy your life. Because you don't know what it took for them to get what they got. Let, let me, okay. Some of y'all that are in ministry are looking to get into ministry. Let me tell you something. Don't look at everybody on a stage and think, why do they have that and I don't have that? Because let me tell you something. That stage would kill you if you got on it right now. God knows how to walk you from step to step to step because he knows I got to develop the source in you before you can handle the resources that I give you or it will kill you and your life. You will destroy your family. You will destroy your finances and you will cripple your ministry before you ever get somewhere because you haven't developed the thing in you to hold what I'm going to put on you. So God says, I know you. And I know you just how much, I know just how much I need to give you that you can work in it and walk in it and be successful in it. So trust me because I'm trusting you. Right? You know, the Bible says that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us, right? God always is, is the initiator. So when God has given you something, it's because he trusts you and therefore his trust in you should produce in you a trust in him. It is that kind of reciprocal type of relationship that God is putting on us. So here is God, uh, the master, you know, the one who's going on the journey says, look, I got three servants. I know who they are. They've been my servants for a while. I know what they can handle. Here's what I give them. And here's the next truth that is so beautiful that he gives it to servants. He gave the talents to servants. And some of you are like, well, what is a talent? I'm not talking about talents like playing the drums and singing and stuff like although we can kind of relate that to this understandably. But a talent back then was 20 years worth of wages. Let me put that in your terms. 
it would be about the same as a million dollars, a talent. So one person, he gave $5 million. The other person, he gave $2 million and one got $1 million. Let me ask you a question. Who in this room, if I handed out that kind of money, let's just say you were one of the three and I gave one, five, one, two, and you gave, and I gave you one, I gave you $1 million. I mean, really, would you really be that upset? <laughs> yes, I would. Okay. I deserve the five, right? Right. I said, that's pretty good, sis. But, but at the same time, you would possibly also be like, you're giving me what? A million dollars. You crazy. What am I supposed to do with this? Now, here's the trick. Here's the trick. What God gives you, he's also going to require a type of return on. That's where it might get a little weird, right? If I said, hey, here, here's, here's $5 million. I expect when I come back later that it to be more than this. Oh, more than $5 million. Wayne, I had picked out, I got to buy a car. I need a house. I need all this stuff. I was going to give you probably a little bit less. <laughs> you know, you come back. I thought you gave me the money for me. Oh, come on now, somebody. I thought God was giving me this stuff for me that I could invest and get stuff for my life. God did not give you what he gave you so that you could go accumulate more stuff. God gave you what he gave you so that you could go and multiply what he gave you and produce more of what he gave you. What did he give you? Life. What did he give you? Love. What did he give you? Patience. What did he give you? Peace. What did he give you? Joy. What did he give you? A sound mind. You should be producing and multiplying that in others around you. But you're like, no, I need peace so that I can feel good so that I can go out and work better, make more money, get all my stuff for me. God's like, I didn't give you your resource for you to resource your own life. Amen. And all of this is just opportunity. What I was talking about before, all this is God has given you an opportunity to do something incredible with it. Because how many of you have said, man, if I just had this, I could do so much. I'm going to be transparent with you. There's so many times I look around this city. I watch ministers on tape or on TV. I don't know why tape. We don't have tapes. Anymore. I don't know why I said tape. Nobody has tapes, Okay. I know one has tapes, little cassette, put that in there. I don't know who has one of them. But anyways, watch them on YouTube. <laughs> That's how old I am, okay? I told y'all, sometimes when I get really happy and get going, I go back to my default setting, which is real country, real old, okay? All right? I remember my uncle having a car that had an eight, eight uh, what is it, uh, eight-track tapes, you know? Woo, put that puppy in there. You never heard sound until you heard eight-track tape, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That stuff sounds amazing. I don't know what they did or what's on the inside or how they even recorded on it, but it's amazing, okay? That's just my default. I'm sorry. I need to, let's just pass on through that. Anyways, so I look around and I'm like, man, and I'm not going to lie. I watch people like Stephen Furtick and I'm like, man, how does he got that? Then I hear the stories of how they went from like 11 people to 11,000 people in like five years. And I'm like, all right, we at year two. About three years, we should be somewhere around that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, I'm already looking at buying this entire side of East, East Kingsport, you know? Because if, you know, God did that for him, God's going to do that for me. But maybe God gave me two. Huh? Also, maybe God gave me one. And here's the thing. 
I read, a, I read a, a thing the other day and it was talking about, you know how the Bible says that the road to heaven is narrow and straight is the path and narrows the way. It said this, no, no man, the man does not complain about the narrowness of the way when he marvels at the fact that the door is even open. Right? So I, I, don't, I don't get upset at someone else's five when I stay positioned in a place of marveling at the fact that God gave me one. But comparison will rob you of any ability to see the gratitude in what God has given you. Look, man, my wife, I wanted so bad to put it up on there, and, and I, I didn't do a good job preparing, and I'll just admit it. But I wanted to put this video up that she sent out and it was a video of the very first like kids gathering that we had back there when our church started. It was in a thread. And um, it was like my son on the little cajon playing and trying to sing over top of how hard he's hitting the cone. Y'all know, you know he's beating a snot out of that thing. You can't really hear him. You know? And there's like four or five kids around the stage listening and praising God. And then if you would and had the chance to walk back there today, You'd probably see somewhere around 30 kids back there and the place is all decorated and it's painted and it's got flags and it's the nursery is set up and it's, you know, you walk in and it's like, wow, but only if you stop looking at other churches who have like the best of the best and you can come into a place of gratitude and thankfulness at the opportunity God has given you and you've made much with it. Man, when we started in this place, there was no carpet in here. Like it, it uh, literally the first service we had, we had, it was the old carpet had been ripped up and it was glue. Like you saw the tracks of the glue on the floor and we were sitting in plastic chairs and and we had no sound and we just, Jordan and somebody was behind me. I was sitting on, it was a really weird looking chair. I went back and looked at it and Jordan's just standing behind me strumming and singing and Shelly's singing and that's, that was our worship. And then today I come in and I'm looking around and I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you may not have given me five. Maybe it is. I don't know what God has given me because I'm, I'm not counting it. I'm just thankful that he's trusted me with something. And I've been able through that praise and the glory of God to take with the leadership and you guys and multiply it to where now if God came back, I could say, hey, look, I, I don't know how much you gave me, but I got a lot more than what we started with, God. Thank you for what you did because you're the one who gave me the one. And so uh, you gave me a leg up and I didn't even know it. It's like I, I thought maybe I didn't have a leg up, but God, you saw fit to give us this building at this location. Like, what church at two years old has a facility like this? And how do we get there? We got these chairs, $7,000 worth of chairs donated from another church because they said, hey, let me bless you. Like, I got to stop criticizing what I have because I don't have what someone else has. God's given me two or one or three, but thank you. Because it's not the stuff. It's the opportunity to make much of the stuff. He's given you the opportunity to make much of the stuff. Man, and I don't know why I'm going here, but like, I mean, me and my wife, like, we, when, we, we, when we first started dating and stuff like that, we didn't have anything, right? We had nothing. And now, like, we don't have a lot, but it's more than what we had. And the crazy thing is, we've went from nothing to a little bit to a lot, back to just a little bit, and then sometimes back to nothing, and then we've made it. But God has always given us something to make something out of. Even when we went backwards, we were still ahead of where we were when we started. But see, some of y'all have a hard time seeing that. 
any type of regression, you feel like the whole thing's just falling apart. I got nothing now. No. Do you have a car that leaks a quart of oil every day? Just throwing that out there. Maybe you do. <laughs> Maybe you do. <laughs> but still, that's what I had when I started. Now I got a car that doesn't leak oil. It doesn't exactly run very well. The steering wheel just turns on its own sometimes. It's kind of weird. I don't know what's going on there. All right. Literally, I'll sit in my car and it'll just start turning. I'm like, Jesus, take the wheel, I guess. I don't know what's going on here. Like, but what I see in here, guys, is that God trusted us. This rich ruler master did not take and put it in the hands of the wealthy and say, hey, you've obviously known how to do this. Take my money and make more with it. And just as God did not go and select the religious elite or the people who you thought would be the ones who should take this, they deserve it. They're the ones who's done well. God says, no, I'm trusting my servants. Because here's the thing about servants. They live in the house of the master. And they know the master. They know his heart. They know how he lives. They know what he wants. They know his intricacies. Like, those other people would not know what the master wanted to even do with that money. But without even telling them what to do, they knew, I know what I need to do. And the Bible says this. It's really awesome. He who had received five talents, verse 16, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the so servants came and settled the accounts with them. Amen. Go to Revelations and you'll find the account of when the master's coming back to settle the accounts with us. The Bible says he's coming back and there will be a settling of the accounts. There will be a time when we stand before the Lord and give an account for how we live. You ain't going to get out of it, Right? And he who had received the five talents came forward. Like, you know, and when I read that, I was like, that's that one guy. You know, like when you know you did real good. You ever had the boss be gone for a day and you crush your job? He comes back in as soon as he comes. Like you planned the whole night what I'm going to say to him. As soon as he comes back in, I'm going to walk up to his office. I'm going to tell him, show him everything that I did. It's going to be amazing. I might even get a raise out of this. You know what I'm saying? As soon as he saw the master coming, he was like, ooh, yeah. I get to tell everybody, tell him what I did, right? He comes running up. He's like, master, 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 look at this, look at this. You gave me five. Thank you for that, by the way. But you know what I did? I got five more. You gave me five. I made five. Now we got 10, right? He's like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then the two, right? He was so excited. Master, uh, well, he, well, the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Before we go forward, I want you to underline, highlight what the master said. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful. We'll come back to that. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now here we are. He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow 
and gathering where you did not scatter, scatter. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here you have what is yours. So the two people who went and multiplied and did great things and, and made more of what God gave them, they were excited. Guy, here's what I made. The other one, you notice what he starts with? He starts with excuses. He starts with trying to, before he tells them what he did with it, right? Before he even says, hey, I hid your money in the dirt. In fact, he didn't even tell him that. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, hey, I, I did, I did, yeah. He's like, I'm gonna tell you why I did what I did. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you didn't. I knew that you were a man who would take from where he didn't sow and, and reap where he didn't plant. Like, I knew that's who you were. And so I was afraid. We gave him a reason to be afraid, right? Like, I have all reason to be afraid of you. So what I did is I, I went and I, I put your money in the ground. And, um, but now, now you get back what you gave me. And listen to, what the, listen to what the master says. And here's what's really hard to gather in our minds of Jesus. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, I want to paint for you a picture. Uh, because again, I told you this was about a million dollars worth of resources. And let me tell you what the resource was. Most theologians and historians say that it was about one talent of silver. One talent of silver. A million dollars worth of silver. It wasn't a million dollars on a debit card where he went and just shoved some dirt across the ground and hid the debit card in the ground and covered it up. This was a million dollars worth of silver. Now, Let's translate that into today because I need you to understand what this man did. That's about 4,500 pounds of silver. 4,500 pounds of silver that this man hid in the ground. So he didn't just get to go out and pull a little dirt to the side and shove a little bag of money in there and cover it up. This man had to work to hide the money. This man had to go get shovels. They didn't have, you know, the excavators like we do now. Pickaxes, shovels, big raw. I don't even know what, I don't even know how the tools were, but they weren't what we have today. And he had to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig just to hide the 4,500 pounds of silver. And let me tell you what I thought of when I thought about that. There's a lot of us that spend more time trying to hide what God has given us because we don't feel like it's enough or we don't think we can do anything with it. We spend more time and work harder at hiding what God is doing in our lives than we would if we just went out and took God's word and took what he gave us to the world. Y'all ever heard this? Maybe y'all some bosses in here and y'all find those people who they work harder at not working than they do at working. You're like, man, you're really good at getting out of work. If you took that same tenacity and applied it to your job, you'd be running the company by now. Like I'm telling you, you got some non-working people who are creative people. I mean, they call you and they have thought through a story, man. Like they... They know how to call out of work and they got backstory that also backs up the backstory. Like, they go in and they know how to hide themselves in the right places at work where the managers don't pass by them and see them. Like they know how to look like they're doing something while someone and some of us work harder 
to try to get out of doing with what God has given us, what God has asked us to do. And then if we would have just done it, then if you would have just done it, if you would have just started ministering at your job, if you just went to that person and told them about the Lord, if you just stood up and gave your testimony, if you just started singing, and maybe when you didn't think you had the best voice, but you knew God has put a song in your heart, if you would just started with what God has given you, you would have already doubled, but you're hiding it. And there's only really two reasons why we do this. Right, I, want, I want to show you, I want to uh, kind of juxtapose the mentalities of the two that had the five and the two and then the one. Um, there's, there's two things that, that affected why he did what he did, and it's all about your mentality. And he had, or how he saw things, he had a very low view of the master. He said, I knew you to be hard. You know what that word knew means? It's not a factual statement. It's like this, I believe in God. And so to me, I know God is real. Right? Anybody, right? Anybody feel that way? You believe God is real. Now, we don't have the ability to shine a telescope into the sky and get a picture of God sitting on a throne to where we can factually prove that God exists. But I believe it so much that if you ask me, I'll tell you, I know God exists. I know it. Well, in actuality, it's just a really strong belief. That is the word picture that goes with this word, no. It was not speaking to the validity of the statement that the master was a hard man. He just believed him to be a hard man. Some of the reasons why you guys don't do what God has called you to do is because you have a very low view of who God is. You find him to be a very judgmental God a very, you know, drop the ax kind of God. And if I mess up, I don't, I'd rather not try than try and mess up because if I try and mess up, then maybe God will cut me out. And he also had this perception of God, of the master, rather, we're going to go back to the parable here, that he was unfair. He was unfair. You were a hard man and you, you reaped where you didn't sow. You took when you didn't even do anything to take it, Right? He accused him, the master of that. You're a guy who takes from people when you don't even give them anything. You're a guy who demands stuff of somebody that you ain't done anything with. You know, some of y'all feel that way, that God has put this demand on your life, but yet he ain't given you what you need to succeed in life. God's unfair. He demands of me things that I can't give him. No, God only demands that which he's already put in you the ability to do. The man gave him a million dollars and said, just go and do business. And in fact, if you read in there, he didn't even give him really any definitive instructions on how to do it. He said, you take it and go and do. Now, because of, I believe, his proximity to the master, he knew what the master kind of wanted him to do. But he still come to this belief that that man is hard. And if I don't do it right... I think it's better if I just give him back what he had than to go and try and fail. Some of y'all feel that way in your walk with the Lord right now. I'll just sit back, go to church, and, and I'll pray. You know, I'll, I'll go to church, but don't ask me to do anything, Lord. Don't ask me to do anything with this gift. You know, the Bible says that he has put this treasure in earthen vessels. Anybody know what he's talking about there? We the vessel, 
there's a treasure that he's deposited in us and said, go and do something with it. And we sit back and say, I'll tell you what God wants me to do with it. He wants me to attend church. God saved me so that I could attend a good church. That would, that would, that would honestly, honestly, and some of y'all are gonna get really offended by this. That would be the most ridiculous reason to save you. Listen to me. That would be the most ridiculous reason to save you. I'm going to save them so that they can just come and sit in a little building and then talk about how good their life is or maybe how bad their life is. But, but then I just want them to leave and go back home and then come back and do it again. That is the very epitome of the guy who took his talent and put it in the dirt. But we think since it's, we're putting it in a church that it's a lot better. You're hiding in the church. You're hiding in the church so that you don't have to do anything. God didn't save you to come to the right church. God saved you to make a difference in the kingdom. God saved you to make a difference in this city. What are you doing? What are we doing? Like, this is an opportunity, right? This whole parable is about opportunities, right? Now, I want to read to you a thing by, the man, by a man named John Greenleaf Whittier. He was a Christian poet in the early 1800s, and he was, a, um, he was an abolitionist of slavery. He, he, he was a good man, a great man. And this is the words that he wrote, of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are it might have been. Of all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest is what might have been. You know, I heard a man of God a long time ago pose this question. Joshua, you can come. He said, if, if you knew that you could do anything for the Lord and you wouldn't fail, what would you do? If you knew that you could do anything for the Lord and you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Let me ask you a question. If you knew today that you would not fail stepping out in faith, would you leave here with a mindset to do something different than what you've been doing in the past year. If you knew that if I went and spoke to that person, things are gonna change. If I knew that if I sowed this seed, things was gonna change. If I knew that if I stood and proclaimed the gospel, things would change. If you knew that, would, would tomorrow be different for you than what last Monday was? Because some of you sitting here today have had a burning calling in your heart to do something. A desire and a pull that is grabbing you and challenging you and pulling you towards something different. And the thing that is stopping you is exactly what stopped this man. He said, I was afraid. I was afraid. And so I just took it and hit it. Man, you know that the graveyard is full of bestseller books that never got written. Emmy award-winning TV shows that never got wrote. Sicknesses, cures for sicknesses that were never discovered because people were afraid to step out. There are churches that never got built 
There are songs that could have changed the course of history that never got saved. All because at one point there was a time when they felt something in them telling them you need to do this and they said no I don't have enough and it won't work it will fail and they just went to their grave with the dream that never came to fruition. Because my one talent isn't as good as their two talents. Why would I write a song when I can't be the next Dottie Rambo? Or why can't why do I write a song when I can't be the next elevation worship? Why do I write songs when I when I'm not, you know, no one's gonna sing my songs. No one's you wanna know who needs to sing your song? You you want to know who needs to read your book? You. You want to know who needs to hear your testimony? You. You want to know who needs to know that what is in you is good enough? It is you because it is you that is stopping you from doing it. When my talent isn't good enough. I tell you a story. I tell you two stories and then we'll be done. I promise I'll let you go. I took some time and I'm a pastor and and of course through this time you know uh, I, I'm human too and so I began to look around and say all right who's who in my walk my profession has five talents and there's a man that I watch and love and have honestly was given the opportunity and the chance to meet I got to meet one of my heroes this man's name is Kevin Wallace Man alive, this guy can preach the house down. I'm talking, you can give him a napkin with one word and he will destroy the whole. I mean, it's just like, what in the world is going on here? Me and my wife went to his church and we sat front row and he saw me and he called me up and used me in an illustration because I had already been there and had a chance to meet with him. And I, I got to walk into his office and let me tell you something, guys. I walked into this man's office and the weight of glory was so thick in there, I shook the entire time I was in his office. To the point to where his brother-in-law looked at me and said, man, are you okay? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not okay. And it had nothing to do with him. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything about him, but I felt like the prophet when he stood in the presence of God and he said, woe to me, I am an unclean man. I am a sinner. I am not doing what I should be doing. Sitting in his office, and this is what he did to me. It was so amazing. He just come to me and sit right in front of me and say, Hey man, tell me about what's going on in your life. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your church. And I just began to tell him, like, hey man, we started really small and God's kind of doing this stuff. He's like, Man, that's amazing. Genuine, genuine. Like you would have thought that he never heard of a church growing like this before. It was amazing, right? And when he was done, I was like, hey, uh, Bishop, would you, would you just pray for me? He said, yeah, I will. He said, but before I pray for you, let me tell you what the Spirit of God's telling me to tell you right now. He said, when I was 13 years old, a man of God came and told me this, and God told me to tell you the same thing that someone told me. And I was like, oh my God, you mean someone told you something, and look what's going on, and now you're telling me that God's telling you to tell me the same thing? Like, I'm getting a talent here. Like, yeah, God's giving me a talent right here. And he said, he said, let me tell you what he told me. He said, Danny, there's a very, very small door put before you. 
And God says, if you'll just be faithful to walk through that little bitty door, that when the door opens and you walk into what is next, the door will shut and before you will be a little bit of a bigger door. He said, walk through that door. He said, and when you get through that door, there'll be another door that's just a little bit bigger. He said, and the Lord told me to tell you that there's going to come a time when you walk through a door that with the next door you see, you'll not be able to see the top of the door. But it all starts with you walking through the first little door that God's put before you. Don't look at the size of the door. Just marvel at the fact that it's there for you to walk through, Danny. And walk through the door knowing there's another door on the other side. Let me tell you something, guys. In your life, God's going to put a small door before you. And if you'll just walk through the little door, there'll be a little bit bigger door. There'll be a little bit bigger door. There'll be a little bit. Your marriage will get a little bit better. And then the next day, the marriage will get a little bit better. But if you just start walking through the door, you're going to come to the place where you're going to look and see a door that you can't see the top or the sides. It's just going to be one big, massive door. And he said, Danny, God told me to tell you, just walk through the door. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will walk through that little door. And I'll keep walking through the doors. As long as I see the door in front of me, I'll walk through it. I don't care how big it is. I don't care if it's one talent, two talents, five talents, 30 talents. God, I'll walk through the next door for you. And he began to pray for me. And man, I'm here to tell you, it was amazing. It was amazing because I saw before me a man who had walked through the little doors and it let me know it's okay to walk through those doors and not judge your adequacy or your value on the size of the door. Don't base whether God loves you as much as he loves the other one because your door is smaller. Last story, a pastor friend of mine was had the opportunity to meet Reverend Billy Graham. I don't need to say anything about that man. He was an absolute giant for the faith. I'm here to tell you this day, if you have a chance to go to Asheville, North Carolina and go to a place called The Cove, you walk up on that property, huh? Just the problem. He ain't even there. The man of God ain't even there. But how I many knows if you'll be faithful to walk through the door, no matter how small or big it is, everything you've touched, every place you've been will have the residue of a living, breathing God, and it will change just because you walk through the door. Everything will change if you just walk through the door. He sat down at dinner with this pastor. He said, about your church. I love men of God who don't start off conversations with what God's doing in their church. Why don't you talk to someone else and find out? Why don't you have enough humility to talk to someone else about what God's doing in their life first? His pastor, he pastors a pretty big size church. He said, uh, man, we just got through baptizing 150 people in the, in the ocean. Reverend Billy Graham said, I've never heard a thing like that. 
sitting here thinking, wait a minute, you realize you're the same guy who had 75,000 people come to know the Lord in a foreign country because of you ministering one night. One night. Billy Graham looked over at his wife. He said, I, I hear you, you lead worship. She said, yeah. He said, would you sing me a song? Uh-uh. No, I would not. I would not sing a song in front of you, Billy Graham. That would be like him looking at me and saying, hey, won't you give me a little sermon? not doing it. So the man of God's wife walked around the table and got really close to him and just began to sing a song in his ear. Billy Graham's hand just went up in the air and he began to sing the song with her. Imagine leading a chorus with Billy Graham singing. What? What? I walked through that door. When he got done, I'm going to pray for you guys. This is what he prayed. He said, Father, protect this man from himself. Guard his heart and his marriage. Protect the love and the union between this man and woman. He didn't one time pray for his church. Not one time did he pray for his church. He just prayed for the man and the marriage. He said, son, love her right and you love God right God will build his church God's given you an opportunity not to build a church but to love people that's the talent God has given you love people make much of love love right love well and walk through the doors no matter how small they may be and watch God build what God wants to build in your life. Concern yourself with what's in your hands, not what's in other people's. You know what I have in my hand? The hand of the most beautiful woman in the world. And I do not do well all the time in this area. In fact, I concern myself way too much with building the church. In fact, I concern myself way too much with building my life that I often forget that's the door I should be walking through. If I walk through this door, people will walk through this door. I need not worry. I need not fret. Because this is my door those two little babies that's my door love well walk through the doors God's given you and he'll open the rest because he's faithful to do such a thing I believe it was February two years ago now Billy Graham stood before a door and when that door opened the one on the other side of that door said well done good and faithful servant enter into the joys of your master that's the door I ultimately want to stand before and I want to hear those words well done Manny you were good and you were faithful 
there's the last door that you'll ever walk through.